Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we love you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good. This has been an incredible conference, and we thank the Lord for it. And though the crowd may be somewhat smaller than other nights of this great conference, God's presence is no less available in this place. We're going to be fed the Word of God. We're going to be renewed in Him. In the absence of Brother Paul Price, the district superintendent of the Western District, who was unable to be here because of the passing of one of our ministers, I was asked to introduce the speaker for the evening, and it is an honor to bring to you this man of God. Brother Booker has preached camp meetings and conferences across this nation and even into other countries, and he has always been a great blessing. He has a unique style. He's tall. He's deliberate. He preaches the word. He starts out just a little bit slow with that draw, but it isn't long till he carries you away into the realm of the Spirit with the Word of God. It's a unique style. I have never heard Brother Booker preach, but what my soul has been blessed. You will be blessed tonight as you hear the Word of God. I ask you, open up your heart, take your Bible out, and let's hear what thus saith the Lord. Would you welcome Brother Larry Booker to the podium at this time? Let's give the Lord a very great hand clap. He's worthy. I love you. I love you. I love you, God. I worship you. God, I worship you. God, I worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, my, 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 my. Well, it is great to be in what we have made the house of the Lord tonight. And uh, He is here. If He was not here, I certainly wouldn't want to be here. And I know you wouldn't want to be here. But in His mercy, He has come down to be with us. And um, I want to say thank you to Brother Haney for those kind words. And uh, I need to go look up the word unique. Praise the Lord. But I appreciate him, appreciate the kind, kind remarks and his friendship to me. I want to say God bless everyone that is here tonight. Um, I'm going to tell you, I'm very um, shocked there are so many of you here tonight. And I mean that. I don't know any other way to put that. But uh, God knows there's a whole lot of other places you could have been. and um, But that you chose to be here tonight um, and it speaks very, 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 very well of you. Maybe your car broke down. I don't know. Praise God. I'm just, I'm just glad you're here. And um, I want to say that it's, it's good to be with 
Brother Urshan, I uh, have never got a chance to say this publicly, but almost 20 years ago, I was pastoring a small church in Oklahoma, and I was there four years to the day, and um, it was a unique time in my life. And uh, I don't know whatever I put into that church, but they put a whole lot more into me than I put into him, them. But um, I had to go to St. Louis. My oldest son, who's now 22, was just a small, small boy at that time. And um, he wanted to go see the big headquarters. And so I took him by there, and Brother Urshan was outside pulling up in an old station wagon with uh, slacks and a, and a sweater. I think that said "Long Live the Pope" or something like that. It was a, it was a joke that the headquarters staff gave him, and uh, <laughs> just a joke. But um, anyway, I, I rolled down the window and I said, "Is is that you, Brother Urshan?" He said, "Yes," and he would not have it any other way. But what he had me park the car. And he took my young boy, who's here tonight, and uh, who's a grown man now, took us all through headquarters, took us to his home, uh, offered to make us dinner. Well, offered for Sister Jean Urshan to make us dinner. And, uh, and it was a very, very, very heady experience for a young man that was down in Oklahoma beating his head against the wall. And I thank you publicly. I appreciate that. It was a very kind Christian thing to do. Amen. Amen, amen. And it's good to be with Brother Becton. He is a precious friend of mine. We love this man. And everyone else of the general board, executive board, and anybody that was involved in this process, that we would be here tonight. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Job, chapter 1. The book of Job, chapter 1. I want to give honor to my pastor, Brother Roy Moss, who I believe is here tonight. He told me something years ago that I never forgot. <clears throat> Not that I'm going to be able to do that tonight, but he said, I always preach your very best for the smallest crowds because they want to hear it the most. And um, he concluded by saying that the greatest messages Jesus ever preached was to the very smallest of crowds. And uh, that is a true saying. Be that as it may, we're thrilled. And we'd like to begin reading in the book of Job, chapter 1, verse number 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed or hated evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep and three thousand camels and five hundred yoke of oxen and five hundred she-asses and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. And his sons went and feasted in their houses Everyone his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. 
And it was so in the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offering according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that they, my sons, have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. And as I have the uh, fourth edition of the Thompson Chain Reference Bible, I'm going to finish the page. Now there was a day. And I'd like for us to pray that God would speak to our hearts tonight. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we're asking in the name above every name that you, God, would anoint every heart and every soul of every man, every woman, every young person that is gathered together tonight. Give us your perfect mind. We recognize our very desperate need of you, both now and till the day you come. Teach, lead, guide, mold, and make us, cause us to be and do all that you would have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you so much. You may be seated tonight. Praise the Lord. I know that my text was familiar to the very, very vast majority of us here tonight. It would have been entirely possible to have uh, got by without reading as much as I did due to your familiarity with it. But I, I felt that it would be probably the best thing to do so. There is a lot more that we do not know about Job than what we do know. Uh, for instance, just how it was, what processes were came to pass in his life, that he became as great a man as he did and was materially, and more importantly, how great he became spiritually. Amen. And even in the midst of his trial emotionally, uh, we know that this did not just one day happen. Job did not just wake up one day perfect. He didn't just wake up upright or fearing God or hating evil. This doesn't just happen. Somewhere, someplace, sometime, this man, Job, and no doubt in order for it to be so, in his youth somewhere, he took some steps and he made some decisions. He made and carried out plans. And in process of time, a man, one thing leading to another as it always does, he was blessed mightily of God. Somewhere in his life, he said, I will strive to be what God wants me to be. Somewhere in his life, he said, I will cleave to that which is good, and I will abhor that which is evil. Somewhere in his life, he said, I will be good to the fatherless, and I'm going to be good to the widows. And somewhere in his life, he said, I'm going to bless the Lord with my substance that he given me. And somewhere in his life, he said, I'm going to raise my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
And so this man made, he deliberately chose, he made his choices. And more importantly, he was made by his choices. And we do well to understand that while we are free moral agents, we are, amen, allowed to make choices in life. But don't ever forget that with every choice we make, we are also going to be made by that choice. Amen. We become what we choose. The reward of obedience and the reward of correct response and the reward of wise, righteous choices is that there is more grace. Amen. To make more, better choices and to go further on into the Lord. Hallelujah. The reward of self-will and the reward of iniquity is that it, it grows on you and it becomes easier and easier, amen, to do wrong and easier and easier to make ill, amen, thought out choices. So God in His grace and God in His mercy lets us know, amen, that, that, that if we are going to become all that we want to become, it's not just going to happen. It's a process that we've got to become involved with, with God. Hallelujah. Now, there's a lot of things in life we're not allowed to choose. There's a lot of things that happen to us. A lot of things that, amen, we didn't ask for. Perhaps our station of birth, heredity, environments, events, various circumstances that come into our life. Amen. But while we cannot decide those things, we absolutely can and do decide how we're going to respond to those things. And those things are not what's really important. What is important is how we respond to them. Because again, that's a law of choice. And we're going to become what we choose. Amen. What we are today and what we have as a people, emotionally, spiritually, even materially, and most importantly of all, eternally, is based on one thing alone, how we have responded to God. Amen. All things are through Him and to Him. Amen. What do you have? What does the man have that was not given him? And if it was given him, wherefore dost thou boast as though it was not given unto us? He started it all. The Bible said no man comes. Amen. Except the Spirit draws him. Uh, what's going for us is that we responded to the call. We responded to the draw. We responded to His Word. We responded to the moving of His Spirit. We respond correctly to the circumstances of life. And by the grace of God, we respond correctly to one another. And as we respond correctly, Amen, things can go better. And we can grow. And where there is no choice, it is impossible to grow. I mean spiritually, again, emotionally, mentally. There's something about it. God doesn't want robots. He didn't want robots in the heavens. He gave the angels and the Lucifer an ability to choose. And so has He given it to us. So God is not nearly, and I think life teaches this, that He's not nearly as concerned about what happens to us as He is how we respond to what happens to us. Because He knows that if we respond correctly, everything's going to be alright. Everything's going to be alright. Everything's going to be alright. Amen. But in this process, we've got decisions to make. 
and we will be made by them. That's the reason that what is happening right now, preaching in the Word of the Lord, this is not the most important part of this service. I've introduced others saying we don't come to the most important part of this service, and it may be up to that point. But it is not, by any stretch, the most important part of any apostolic service. If there is a spotlight at this point, amen, on the word going forth, so be it. But that is not the most important part. Because when I conclude my remarks, if they are ordered and blessed of God, at that moment, if there is a spiritual spotlight, then it's going to every single heart under the sound of my voice. And that is the most important part of this service. When God searches our heart and says, what does this mean to you? How are you going to respond to this? Does it mean anything? Does it touch any chords? Does it pluck any strings anywhere? Amen. That's the reason. It's a rare, rare thing, at least in our church, to close any service without an altar call. The most important thing tonight will not be if you remember what I have preached tonight a year from now or a month from now or next week. That's not important. What's really important is that God is going to remember how we respond tonight. What's lodged in His mind and what's lodged in His memory is going to carry the day. We're not going to remember all of this, amen, a month from now, but God will never forget if it was able to touch you. God will never forget if you responded correctly. God will never forget if you said, Lord, count me in. God will never forget if you said, Todd, I want to make some changes. And God, I want to be right. Hallelujah. Don't ever forget, we make our choices, but we're going to be made by them. And so Job did it all. He chose well. And more importantly, he responded well. But verse 6 still came. But there came a day. There came a day. There will always come a day where all plans, all of them, are put to the test. When all motives are put in the crucible, when all ideas and all integrity and all of our righteousnesses will be tested, there comes a day for everybody, everywhere. And let's lift our hands and love you. I love you, my God. 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 I love you, God. I had a young man in our church approach me several, several months ago after service, one of our young ministers, and uh, he was sharing with me something that he had just read. And I said, oh, please. He read it in a book, and so he, he gave me the book. I did not read all of the book. I remember parts he told me, and I read in the main what I'm about to tell you. 
nor do I remember the name of the book, but I have no doubt there's folks under the sound of my voice that you can recall it. At any rate, it's about a Marine Corps sergeant by the name of Carlos Hathcock. And in 1965, he was considered the very best, the most of all the elite of the elite in long-range rifle shooting in the United States of America, his competition being all of the armed forces combined. He'd been known to make shots up to 2,000 yards, and a mile being 5,200 whatever feet, that's over a mile almost and a quarter where he could hit a mark. And so he found himself in Vietnam, as did so many others, and he was approached finally by his superiors because there was a North Vietnamese sniper who was very adept at his profession and he was wreaking havoc among the South Vietnamese and the American forces and uh, utterly, utterly deadly and almost impossible to track. And so they asked Sergeant Hathcock if he would be willing to be trained to become a sniper with his shooting abilities and so he conceded to do so and, and after very, very, very intense dramatic training his very first assignment was to go get that sniper. And so in the process of these two men in that jungled area of the world stalking each other, stalking each other, he, he came to a place and after sitting, if my memory serves me correctly, for several days knowing that that sniper was there and he knowing that Carlos was here he saw off in the distance a glint, a tiny glint of light. And on a hunch and a prayer, he took a 1,200-yard shot. He figured the wind, he figured distance, and he fired. And the glint of light went out. He went back into his silence. Finally, his forces found out that he did kill the sniper. And uh, when they found him, they found his weapon. A bullet had gone through the sniper's telescope into his eye. And so it, Carlos realized while he was being aimed at, I was being aimed at, and the only way he beat him is he pulled the trigger first. So then, the book apparently goes on to tell many other uh, incidents. It's not a you know profession I'd be interested in, but it's interesting. And um, the last, the last job he was asked to do, he was already on the way out of Vietnam. He was uh, being in the process of discharge, going back to the states. He'd served his time. He had two weeks left before he left that, that uh, place, and uh, he was approached, and apparently there was a North Vietnamese general who was extremely adept at what he did, and he also was creating havoc among the very troops, and, and so they asked him, could you please take one last assignment 
It is. They put it all on the table. It's almost suicidal. Uh, if you don't take it, it's fine. We understand, but somebody else will. And he did know that if somebody else took it, it would be suicide because they didn't have his skills and uh, would probably lose their life in the process. So he agreed. And um, so when they got him in a general vicinity where they believed he was and through, through uh, aerial photos, they, 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 they came to the edge of a forest. He, he, he came and, and there was a clearing about, about 2,000 yards across was a series of huts. And they had every reason to believe that, that that is where the general was, albeit down, no doubt, in deep bunkers, hence bombing would do no good. And, and um, so he was there, and his job, they planned for him to crawl 200 yards. He worked out the plans, the logistics, and after, excuse me, 1,200 yards, there was a small slump in the ground, and a six-inch deep swallow of a ditch was there. And uh, his job was to crawl... 1,200 yards, lie in the ditch, and when the general came out in the morning, to get him. So he began the process, and uh, it took him three days, planned out, three days to crawl 1,000 yards. That is three days of almost constant motion. Very slow, very deliberate, but never stopping, 24 hours a day. The only time he stopped was in the evening before sunset when a few of the troops would walk through the field and he would all but cease breathing as they'd make their way to see if there was any hidden dangers. And during that time, he did not eat. And with a canteen at his shoulder, he would take little lids full of water and place them to a tongue that was rapidly swelling. And during that time, he would crawl through that grass. Uh, the ants and the insects would come. And he said in, any, in every opening of his clothing, ants, huge ants, would crawl up into his clothes and begin to bite him literally everywhere but he could not stop amen and start killing ants he just had to go with it amen and one time my memory serves me correctly in the process of crawling he came face to face with a very poisonous viper and they just looked at each other until I guess he didn't bat an eye and the viper took off so at the end of three days and a thousand yards, he was spent, he was spent mentally, he was spent physically, he was spent emotionally. The insects gave him, amen, unrelenting torture. His tongue was swelling and he thought, I am at the end of my rope and I can go no farther. I will take my chances here. And I'll try a thousand yard shot. But he knew his chances of escape were nil. And he knew he very probably missed in the condition he was in. And all he had to go was another 200 yards. But, but in that moment and in that time and in that pitiful condition, he stopped. And he began to commune with himself.
And this was not the exact verbiage used, but it was close. But it is the title of what I want to preach to you about. As he laid there at the end of his rope and about to give up, he stopped himself and said, No, I planned this when I was in my right mind. I'm not in my right mind now. And I don't feel good now. And I'm very tired now. And I'm well nigh sickened to death now. But when I planned this endeavor, I was in my right mind. And I'm going to stick with the plans I made when I was in the right mind. Amen. I'm going to tell you tonight, amen, that somewhere, and I don't know that you use this verbiage to understand, but I feel safe to say that when Job came to his day and the sound of the footsteps of running servants telling him about the death of his sons and daughters, telling him about the death of his servants, telling him about the loss of his camels and axes and horses, uh, uh, oxen and sheep, and telling him, amen, all that he'd gone, amen, there was something that rose up in that man when he said the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. I'm not turning back now. I planned this out when I was in the right mind. I made my choices a long time ago and I'm not stopping today. Amen. And somewhere everybody, somewhere all of us, amen, when you're in your right mind, you've got to set your face. You've got to make some decisions. You've got to say for me and my house, I will live for God. I will do what's right. I will be what my God wants me to be. you got to plan it. We're in your right mind. Let's lift our hand and love our God. Hallelujah! Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus! Hallelujah! God, we love you! God bless you. I read in this precious book of a young man by the name of Joseph. And we understand that while he was a young man, somewhere, someplace, sometime, something stirred in him. Something was triggered in him. And he said, I'm going to be different from my brothers. Perhaps it was a night while on his way to his tent, he was on the outside of his father Jacob's tent when he heard a deep-throated groaning sob out of his father because his oldest brother Reuben had just gone up to his father's bed. Maybe it was another time when Simeon and Levi, amen, had performed another treacherous, cruel act Maybe it was when they got word that Judah's been consorting with prostitutes again. We don't know. But somewhere, 
someplace, sometime, Joseph said, I will not be like my brothers. I am going to please God. And I am going to please my Father. And I want you to know, in his right mind, he chose the creed by which he would live. And he lived his creed all his days. But there came a day when the pit came. And then the auction block. And then Potiphar's house. And there came a day when Potiphar's wife made her advances to him and he stopped, amen, and said, Lady, you don't understand. There's none greater in this house than I. Your master doesn't even know what he owns. He's putting it all into my charge, amen, and I will not sin this day and do this great wickedness against my God. You understand what he was saying? Lady, I'm telling you tonight, I planned this when I was in the right mind. I made my decision a long time ago, and I'm going to live by the plans I made. And don't ever forget, we make our choices, but we are made by our choices. And that right mind stood in good stead when his reward was the prison house. And his right mind kept him when vengeance would have been so easy and so sweet against his now ashamed and abashed and brought low repentant brethren. But no, I planned this when I was in my right mind. Amen. David, when you're running from Saul in and out of your wildernesses, and you feel like a flea on the back of a dog that's kicking like crazy. Don't ever forget, David. Come on, son. You planned this when you were in your right mind. Jeremiah, when you're sunk up to the armpits in the muck and the mire, and the only thing coming into your mouth, amen, is bread and water of utter gross affliction. Don't forget, son, you planned this when you were in your right mind. Abraham, when you're on the top of the mount, and you've got your only son whom thou lovest, amen, and he's staked out on a, on a, on a bed of wood about to be set ablaze, and the knife's in your hand, and all you know is your God told you to get up there, and do it. I'm not turning back. I planned this when I was in the right mind. Simon Peter, when you're outside of Rome, being crucified upside down, and Jesus said there'd be days like this. When you were young, you went where thou wouldest, but now you're old, and others are girding thee and taking you where thou wouldest not. It's okay, Jesus. I planned this when I was in the right mind. Let's love him tonight. God bless you. Apostle Paul, read, Brother Jones, 1 Corinthians 11.24. Of the Jews, five times received of I 40 Jews, stripes, save one. Five times Thrice I received was, 40 stripes, saved one. Three times was I beaten with rods. Read. 
Once was I stoned. Once they stoned me. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been a in the deep. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeyings often. I've been in journeyings often. In perils of water. I've been in perils of waters. In perils of robbers. I've been in perils of robbers. In perils by my own countrymen. I've been in perils by my own countrymen. In perils by the heathen. I've been in perils by the heathen. In perils in the city. I've been in perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. I've been in perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. I've been in perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness. In and in painfulness. In watchings often. In watchings often. In hunger and thirst. In hunger and thirst. In fastings often. In fastings often. In cold and naked. I've been cold and I've been naked. And beside those things and that are without. And everything that's coming along from without. cometh upon me daily. Every day of my life. The care of all the there churches. Is the care of all the churches. What do you say to these things? It doesn't matter. I planned it when I was in the right mind. I said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Hallelujah. You gave me the creed and I'm going to live by it. He made his choice. And his choices made him. I remember... Several years ago, one of the finest young men I ever was privileged to pastor called me, shaking, shook, sobbing, which was totally unlike him. He said, Brother Booker, my wife has lost her mind. I said, do what? He said, you know the Bible study we've been teaching? Oh yes, I knew it well. The wife of the couple they were teaching had been coming to church, loving it. Amen. Starting to raise her hands, talking about making a change and going on with God. I said, oh yes. He said, my wife, just ran off with my Bible study. I said, do what? said, she took off with the husband. When in the process, when there was still somewhat in the balance, and I was tempting with all within me to reason with her, and I had known her since she was pretty young, I'd watched her. Her mother had raised her by herself, and uh, she did the best she could with what little she had, because they had a daddy that had done very cruelly to this family. And uh, this girl always had a selfish streak in her. But she tended to keep it down as she could. I remember talking to her one day. Called her by name. I said, you know what? You really do love this church, don't you? She said, oh yes. I really do. I said, and, and I really believe and know you love my wife and I. I do, and tears began to well. 
And I really believe you love the preaching. She said, I do. And I said, and, and you, you love the fellowship. You love the saints. Oh, yes, I do, I do. And I know you love the music because you've been so involved. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I said, young lady, you've got just one problem. You love every single thing about this church, but you have as yet to this day ever fallen in love with Jesus. And when I said that, she stopped and looked at me. And I knew, and she knew, and she knew I knew that it was so. That was her problem. Somewhere in all the decisions we have to make, I, I hate to use the word I fear, but I do fear that in all of the decisions we're making, too many people are missing out on what the main thing really is. I've got to fall in love with Him. I've got to love Him. I've got to love Him with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind and all of my strength. And if you'll make that choice, you will be made by that choice. And it'll make every other choice easier. But as pastor, it had to be my lot to go to her mother, one of the sweetest, most precious women I've ever had the privilege of pastoring, and inform her of what had happened and the decisions it seemed her daughter was making. And I watched that little woman bend over I watched her weave I watched her totter I watched her fall into a wall I watched her begin to slide and then to catch herself I watched her she began amen to sob her very heart out but when she got to where she could speak I will never forget as long as I live the words that came out of her mouth. She said, Brother Booker, don't worry about me. Do whatever you have to do for the good of the church. No matter what happens, we can't let that spirit destroy this church. I'll go through anything. I'm not losing out with God. Do what you have to do as a pastor. I was looking at a woman. She planned it out when she was in her right mind. Somewhere, way before that day came, she had determined, live, die, sink, or swim. My mind is made up. I'm living for God. I'm going to do what's right. If mama don't want it, I do. If daughter don't want it, I do. If husband... And she was made by her decisions. I remember years ago, 
hearing a friend of mine talk about how when he was a little boy, this man is a fabulous accordion player. Fabulous. His name is Roger Evans. He's a fabulous accordion player. He said when he was a little boy, he remembered watching a man on the back of a, of a, of a, of a like a hay truck, and he was playing an accordion. And he said it was just, it was just like a magical instrument in his hand, and the sounds he made come out of that, and the moves and and on. And he said it was like a one-man orchestra, and he was playing and playing and playing, and he was in a very highly intricate song when he threw the accordion up into the air. And everybody watched it as the accordion turned upside down. And the man caught the accordion upside down and never missed a lick. He just kept right on playing the song while it was upside down. And I'm going to tell you something about life, my dear friends. Until you can learn how to play life when it's upside down, you don't really know how to play. You've got to make up your mind. I'm going to live this life. I'm going to walk this walk. I'm going to be faithful to my God. It doesn't matter if my world is upside down. I planned this when I was in my right mind. Hallelujah. Now I was not, and I'm closer to being done than what you might think. I was not born and raised in this. I came to God when I was 19. That's very young, but I had a lot of miles on the model. I was on probation from the time I was 15 to 21. I've been in and out of jail. We were drug pushers. Amen. These were the Vietnam days. We'd buy a thousand lots of LSD for a thousand for 29 cents, sometimes 19 cents a hit. Send it to Vietnam to our friends, would sell it for five dollars a hit, and then they'd send back pure uncut heroin to us 17, 18. 19-year-old punk kids. And then for kicks, we used to shoot cigarettes out of each other's mouths and tin cans off of each other's heads. Do you understand? I was not raised in this. But when I was 18, God began to really deal with me. And off and on, He dealt with me since I was five. Before my name was ever Larry Booker. I had dreams that my name would be Larry Booker, and etc. At any rate, when he'd spared my life on many occasions, I told God I was surrendering. New Year's Eve going into 1972, and the midnight sound with the hip-hip hoorays and old Lang Syne's I put out the cigarettes and I put out the marijuana and I put out the alcohol and I made my way downstairs onto a water bed I had with my friends in drunken debauch revelry upstairs. Amen. I laid down on the bed. I didn't know nothing about Pentecost, but I began to pray and I said, God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me. And while I laid on my bed, I began to feel something. And something began to come on me. 
Man, I began to shake it. I didn't know what Pentecostals were supposed to do. And that was the last word I expected coming out of my mouth. But I, I said, uh, 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 uh. Glory! Glory! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Woo! And my friends upstairs, they heard this coming up through the vents, and it was, Booker, are you all right? So I got myself together. Made my way from Denver down to Pueblo, Colorado. It was the first of January, so I come about the second, third, I had to go see my probation officer. He offered me to, said, you like, you want to go to college? I said, do what? He said, there's a man in this city that will pay every expense you incur if you go to college. He wants to do it anonymously. It was the most foremost renowned doctor in that city. I used to date his daughter. He liked me. So I began to go to college. And I repented. No more drinking. No more booze. No more drugs. Nothing. I remember walking down the street one day telling God I'd do anything in the world for Him. I said, God, I'd do anything for you. I said, if, I said God, if, if you wanted, I'd get on my knees and I'd lift my hands in this street and tell you that I loved you. Then I thought, well, would you really? Well, yeah, I would. If you wanted it, but I know you don't want that. How do you know? I don't know. I don't know if he, I don't know if he wanted her or not. All I know is I got down in the middle of the, God, I love you! And then I got up and went my way. And I also know when I'd lay down in my bed at night or when I'd be praying beside my bed, God would try to give me the Holy Ghost. I didn't know what it was. All I knew is I'd start shaking and get stammering lips. It scared me half to death. I'd jump up in the bed. I'd get my Bible that was falling apart at the seams and I'm across the glued in the dark. And I said, God, I don't know what you're doing, but do it some other time. And one night, I was watching TV. Don't get quiet on me now. And I was watching, there was an old TV show called The Wild Wild West. And there was a guy named James West. And he grabbed the guy by the head, and he beat his head on the hitching post and threw him into a tub of water. Well, a watering trough. And I was watching that, which is easy to do because my parents, one time they had three TVs in the front room, one in the kitchen, one in the washroom, every bedroom had one, one in the sitting room downstairs, and for a while, one in the truck. And I was watching that. And he beat his head and he threw him in the water trough. And I said, James, that wasn't very Christian. So I turned the channel. And you know what? That wasn't Christian either. And, I turned, and that wasn't Christian either. And, I, and you know what? It wasn't nothing good. So I pushed the button. And I never turned it on! And I didn't have a pastor. And I didn't have the Holy Ghost. And I didn't have a church. All I knew was it wasn't right! And so, long story cut short, 
when I found my way to Bartlesville, Oklahoma. And the first time I ever walked in that church, and I know I didn't have socks on, and I, they told me they don't think I had shoes on. And my pants was a conglomeration of patches, and my shirt tails was hanging out, and I weighed over a hundred pounds less than I do now. And I was so skinny and my hair was down to here. And those people in that home missions work turned back and saw me and got their kids and scooted them up close. And I went to an altar that night. And I repented for an hour and a half. I poured my heart out to God. They took me to a cow pond. I was baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of my sins. Five nights later, I got the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm telling you, I wasn't in my right mind, but when I got in this, I was. And when they told me about tithes, I said, sounds good to me. When they told me about offerings, sounds good to me. When they told me about TV, sounds good to me. It's been gone a long time. And in those early days, I made some decisions, and I made some choices, and by the grace of God, I made some plans, and by the grace of God, I planned it in the right mind. Fifteen years later, I'm pastoring in Arroyo Grande, California. Baptized a man and his wife that had got the Holy Ghost in their house the night before. They'd been in a denominational church for many years. He came to me the next service, excuse me, next prayer meeting. He said, tell me everything we got to do. I said, what do you mean? He said, you know what? I think the word is standards. I said, man, stick around. You'll get it. He said, no, I want it tonight. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, no, I'll just stick around. He said, no, tell me tonight everything. Now, these are the kind of things you pray about, dream about. <laughs> and I took about 15 minutes. I went down the list. He said, check, check, got it. He asked me a few questions. Okay. When I come to TV, he said, no problem. I said, really? He said, yeah, I ain't had one for six years. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no. I said, how come? I said, your, 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 your church here, and they don't teach that. He said, no, they make fun of me. My whole church makes fun of me. He said, but see, what happened was, he said, six years ago, I was watching TV, and there's a show called The Wild Wild West. And James West, I promise you, I promise you, James West was beating a guy's head on a hitching post, and he threw him in a tub of water. And I said to myself, James, that was not Christian! Hallelujah! Don't tell me there's not a God! Don't tell me there's not a God that doesn't care! He cares about this church! He cares about what we think! He cares about the choices we make! Because He knows we're going to be made by our choices! Brethren, we planned this when we were in our right minds. 
We made, I say we, ye. When I stuck in front of I Love Lucy in the 50s, you guys were making decisions. Somewhere you could look down the road and see it ain't going to stay with I Love Lucy. It's going to become entirely something else. And while the world mocked and laughed, honey, you were prophets. It's a wicked, vile, debauched society. And the number one thing that's pumping it into the hearts and minds is television, 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 television. We made a stand a long time ago. We planned this when we were in our right mind. And nothing has changed. It's got worse and worse and worse. I was not born in this. I was not raised in this. But I know you had your right mind. In recent years, a Pentecostal denomination, the catchphrase was, we need to bring our articles of faith up to our present day experience, which didn't speak well of their present day experience. And so they went to their articles of faith that dealt with separation from the world righteousness and godliness and holiness things that in that area they had planned out with much prayer and forethought and deliberation and study of scripture and they were not preaching anything that any other major protestant denomination in the u.s taught in its day but they said We'll bring this up to our experience. And they did away with those major tenets of separation. Five years later, in some of their major, largest churches today, that used to be a holiness people, they're having bathing beauty contests with the teenage girls in the church where the parishioners clap to see who's got the best figure. In that movement, kids are coming home from Bible colleges questioning the virgin birth, questioning the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. They weren't in their right mind when they made that decision. They made some decisions back yonder. And by the grace of God, we made some decisions back yonder. And brother Chambers, I pray God we make history. I pray God we make history. We make history. I'm going to tell you how we're going to make history. We planned this when we were in our right mind. We made some decisions and some choices. And by the grace of Almighty God, we're not turning and we're not swerving and we're not backing off. We're pissing off and pressing in because our God is a great God and our God is a mighty God and our God is a holy, holy, holy God. We planned this when we were in our right mind. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm closer to being done than I was.
by His grace. Because it was first in His mind. And then the mind of Christ was imparted for men to look like men. For women to look like women. This was the mind of Christ. And on and on. I'm sorry, world. We're not accepting your doctrines, your philosophies, your immodest attire, your twisted entertainments, your Hollywood and television, your speech and your morals. We rejected all that a long time ago when we were in our right mind. We're going to continue. We're going to preach God's truth, God's doctrine, in God's name, by God's Spirit, in His righteousness, His holiness, His word, His kingdom, His salvation, because we're going to His heaven. And Brother Tickley, we're going to have revival all along the way. Revival all along the way. I heard Brother Cunningham say on three different occasions that the most rapid growing churches in the United Pentecostal Church and all of his studies were the churches, this is my verbiage now, that are still in the right mind. That are saying we're sticking. Amen with what the good book says. We're walking according to what our forefathers laid out for us. We made some decisions in our right mind. You're not sacrificing revival to keep holiness. I'm here to tell you, brother, that's where revival's at. That's where revival's at. That's where revival's at. That's where revival's at. years ago, and I really am a dear friend of mine, Brother H. Terry. We've got a few books in our home, and uh, about 10,000, I think. And Brother Terry was sitting there and, in a way that only he can do. He said, Booker! Do you got all those books to read or to make you look smart? I said, no doubt about it, Brother Terry, just to make me look smart. That's it. I said, I don't, I don't read all them. He said, well, I just wondered. He said, you know, your grandpa, Marty, where are you? Ballestero. Is he up there? Yeah. You are? And there's your other brother? I recognized him. Well, come on up here, son. You need to hear something about your grandpa. 
Brother Terry asked your grandpa. He said, Carl, do you have all them books to make you look smart? Or do you read them? He said, well, Brother Terry, why don't you pick one of them out? So he reached up and picked a book. He said, open it up somewhere, anywhere. He said, start reading. He started reading, Brother Ballester said, now you're reading about such and such a page, give or take. He said, this is your subject matter. If you'll go on a little bit, you're going to read this and that. And then if you go the preceding page over, you're going to find this bit of information. Brother Terry said, yeah, that's okay. That's all I wanted to know. So your grandpa had a mind like a steel trap. He was one of my council of elders. Until the Alzheimer's began to set in. The stance. I first noticed it. Others knew. I, I, and talking to him, and I thought he was using wry humor. Until I realized he really took him a little bit to recognize me. And everybody hoped against hope that it wasn't what it appeared, but it was. And he sunk at once, mind so great, so sharp. He sunk into a fog so deep with glazed eyes, seemingly no comprehension whatsoever. One day his nephew, Tim Bowman, was preaching for me. So we drove about 250 miles to see his Uncle Carl. He was in his easy chair, Brother Ballastero. We talked, conversed, talked with his wife, that precious godly woman. Tim was on his knees next to his uncle, trying to converse Uncle Carl. It's me, Tim. I'm still preaching the gospel, Uncle Carl. And then he said, Uncle Carl, do you suppose maybe it's time I start preaching Trinity? And somewhere down in the deep, and to use his verbiage in the warp and woof of his soul, there well to... No! had got way down deep inside years before when he was in his right mind. One day his wife, Sister Connie, he was in the chair and she was going about and she began to feel a burden, a travail. She made it to about the kitchen she fell on her knees. She was travailing and travailing. She didn't know why. She didn't know what for. 
And all of a sudden, in the backdrop, she began to hear, Connie, Connie. And she turned, and standing in the kitchen doorway, he stood, crystal-eyed, clear-eyed, piercing eyes, looking at his wife. She saw the cognizance. And he said to her, Pray for me. I'm a prisoner trapped in this body. I don't know why this has happened. I've always loved God. I've loved this gospel. I've loved this truth. I walked with people that loved it. But God has been good to me. And while she stared open mouth, the fog came back. And the glaze came over. And so she arose and led him by the hand. Took him to lie down on the bed. Laid him back. His glaze. But as his head hit the pillow, his eyes came alert. And he sat up. He said, A foolish man would charge God, but I don't charge God. God has been good to me, and I love Him. I love Him! And then the glaze. And he drifted off back. Somewhere at a young age, young people, hear me tonight. You've got to make your choices. And you're going to be made by your choices. While you're in your right mind, you need to make the decision. Please ask this to now thy creator remember your creator in the days of thy youth in the days of your youth while the evil days come not remember it before nor the evil days come nor the years draw nigh and the years draw nigh when thou shalt say I have no pleasure when you're in gonna them. say I don't have any more pleasure while the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened when before your eyes begin to dim nor the clouds return after the rain. And it seems like you're always in a fog. In the day when the keepers of the house shall and tremble. strong arm keepers, one of these days, they're going to begin to tremble. And the strong men shall bow and themselves. And these strong legs are going to begin to bow. And the grinders cease because they are few. And their teeth are going to be coming out. And those that look out the windows be darkened. And it seems like I can't see out the window like I used to see. 
And the doors shall be shut in the and street. And I can't hear like I used to hear. It's like somebody shut the doors. When the sound of the grinding is low. When the sound of the grinding is low. And he shall rise up at the voice of the bird. Oh, but a slightest sound, and you're up at night. And all the daughters of music shall be brought low. And I can't make out the music anymore. And when they shall be afraid of that which is high. And the steps they just—I used to spring them, but now. Move slow. And fear shall be in the way. And we lock and double lock and bolt the doors at night. And the almond tree shall flourish. And the hair is gray. And the grasshopper shall be a burden. And even a grasshopper is just a little too much weight. And desire shall fail. And it's over. Because man goeth to his long home. Because you're on your way to your long home. And the mourners go about the street. And the mourners are going to go about the streets, sir. Or ever the silver cord and be loose. Or the golden bowl be broken. The golden bowl is broken. Or the pitcher be broken at the fountain. And somehow the internal organs begin to break down. Or the wheel broken at the cistern. And it's broken at the cistern. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. And the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. While you are in your right mind, while you're young, while you're strong, you need to make some choices. And if you're like me, you're just starting to bump up there. I need to go back every now and then. Make sure it's all dusted off. And what I lived, and what I loved, and what I believe is still rich, and still real, and still powerful. I know the world doesn't appreciate that, but I planned it when I was in my right mind. And we have right now. Come. To the most important part of this. What does this mean to you, sir? What does this mean to you, ma'am? What does it mean to you, elder? What does it mean to you, mother of Israel? We've got babies that are grown and grandbabies that are on the way. Somewhere. We made some decisions a long time ago when we were in our right mind. And by the grace of Almighty God, we will never turn loose. 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 Because I planned it when I was in my right mind. If there's anybody here tonight, maybe you'd like to just go on record before God. God, hear me. God, see me. God, feel my heartbeat. God, feel my desire. My mind's made up. I'm following through with you.